2: Hello, and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz.
1: I am joined tonight by Mike Plank. How are you doing tonight, Mike? Well, Andy, uh, nobody really cares, so let's just get on to the business, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sure.
2: So so we had a long break for the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, We actually haven't had an episode in in just over a week now. We are recording this Tuesday night, so I'm going to try to get this out the same evening, but if not, then... Um, you know, we'll have the the KU basketball games, the last one against Oakland, and the one that's going on tonight um, against. Uh, and I just oh Toledo Toledo yeah Toledo we'll have those covered in our next episode of the podcast, um, which will be coming later this this week. Also, just a programming note, real quick here at the top, we uh, I was able to secure another interview with uh, Jill Dorsey Hall to preview KU in the uh, the NCAA Volleyball Tournament. They have a first-round matchup against Missouri coming up on Friday. Um, they get to travel down to Wichita. They get to play on Wichita State's court, um, which should be interesting if they're able to get past Missouri and play Wichita State. Um, but So we will have that later. Also, I'm hoping uh, at this point I'm still trying to work out the details, but to have a preview of the Syracuse game with um some, some people from Troy Nunez is a magician, which is the the SB Nation site for Syracuse. Uh, so that will be a special bonus episode that should have both those those segments there. So make sure you guys you know pay pay attention
1: to the podcast feed for the rest of the week because we're going to have a lot of good stuff for you. So let's hey, Andy, before you get going, let's, let's touch on volleyball just real quick to start off. That don't mind be. Because it's the least depressing thing we had to talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) So I I was just curious if you had seen the uh, full bracket yet, the 64-team field. I did not. I kind of – well, I looked at it briefly. I saw there were four Big
2: 12 teams. I was expecting there to be a couple more, um, just the way that the the conference had gone. And I noticed as well that KU is probably – one spot away from being able to host a regional, and the three other teams, Texas, Iowa State, and Baylor, are all hosting. They're all national seeds. Um, for those that aren't aware, the volleyball tournament has 16 national seeds. Each one hosts one of the first-round pods of four teams. Um, and then from there, they move on and play at, the, they play at the, for, for the, the third and fourth round. They play at the home site of the highest remaining seed, uh, Correct. So, you know, as it stands right now, Wichita State is the lowest national seed um, at the number 16. KU is arguably, well, most likely the number two team at that site. So it stands the reason if they had, you know, won just one more of their games, uh, had been able to pull that out against West Virginia, that they probably would have been a national seed as well. Um, and yeah. would have been hosting it in Lawrence instead of having to go down to Wichita.
1: So, right. And Wichita uh, State had a decent season, but... They were barely ranked in the top twenty-five. I didn't check their RPI. I should have probably done that before this call. But um, but they only lost three matches all year. But again, you have the you know the quality of kind of like with basketball, you have the quality of opponent factor that comes into there, and you just don't know how good Wichita State really is. Um, and yeah, Kansas probably cost themselves that that fifteen or sixteen national seed by losing to West Virginia. And uh, KU's kind of kind of struggled down the stretch. I mean, they had that. A sweep at Baylor, and um, they lost to somebody else too. I can't recall, but uh, but yeah, I, I definitely think they're the number two seed in this region, and um, it, it seems to be one of the easier regions. I think. I mean, again, I don't know how well Missouri did, but they're not ranked, um, and that those should be all teams that Ku should be favored. Uh, to win, assuming obviously they have their A game. Uh, but the thing that I wanted to point out to you that I want to make sure you saw so, Wichita State is the national 16 seed. Uh, Penn State is the national one seed. So, if is going to make it to Kansas City, they're going to have to go through Penn State in the Sweet 16.
2: Right. Um, it wouldn't be the Sweet 16, it would be the Elite A at that point.
1: So, like, you're right. It would be the Elite A, yeah.
2: yeah. But they'll have to go through
1: Penn State to get to. To Kansas right, City, right.
2: so that's no, uh, that's not that's really under fun. territory for them because they went through the overall number one seed USC uh, again as an unranked team, or as a non-national seeded team when they first went to the Final Four, um, or I'm sorry, when the, the only time they went to the Final Four, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, it's not like it's unheard of, and honestly, I think that this team is better than that team. Um, And I would say Penn State is at best on par with that USC team. So, I mean, it's not completely outside the realm of possibility that they're able to do that. Um, I I did look up Wichita State's RPI real quick. They are actually the number 14 RPI team. Um, So it's not like it's undeserved for them to be a ranked team. Although, you know, I I saw a story. There's another ranking system that uses a little bit more of, like, advanced stats and, and advanced analytics. Um, that they had originally used to kind of, you know, do all the the mock brackets. Um, And real quick, like right before the selection show, they ended up switching everything back to the RPI. Uh, And the speculation on that was essentially, you know, in case there was any kind of backlash, they could just say, well, you know, we're using the same method that we used the last few years, (laughs) um, which would have had, I believe, Wichita State in that other system would have been about 20, or 23. So there's definitely some argument to be had about whether they're actually, you know, a top 15 team, Um, but the measurement that they're using to set those brackets would be the RPI, and the Wichita State kind of slots right in. Uh, Interesting to note, too, that, uh, you know, the Big 12, you know, Kansas is down at 19 in the RPI, so the Big 12 has four of the top 19 uh, or four of the top 20. The only other conference that has that many the big 10 it looks like has three um no i'm sorry the big 10 has four as well uh, because they have wisconsin down at at 18 um and then i mean but that's it the pac-12 no i'm sorry the pac-12 has five so the pac-12 definitely seems to be a loaded conference and if i remember correctly that's actually kind of standard they usually have some some pretty good teams out there so
1: yeah and stanford won it all last year it's like a seven seed or something so yeah yeah, yeah. So
2: I mean, you know, the, the the big three conferences when it comes to the volleyball seem to have been the Big Twelve, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten the last few years at least. And so they are well represented in the in the top seeds there. So yeah, it, it should definitely be interesting. I'll, I'll definitely be interested to, to hear what uh, Jill Dorsey Hall has to say about the team. You know, they've kind of they've they've faltered mightily down the stretch, and I'm wondering how much of that is Madison Rigdon. Just being out injured, yeah I wonder if she's not back to
1: full strength, yet,
2: so right. I mean, you could tell she was making a lot of good plays against West Virginia, but there definitely looked to be times where she was either either tired because um, the stamina just hasn't built back up yet, or you know maybe she's favoring one of her you know, one of her sides a little bit. Um, there just seems to be something off, and, and it's kind of affected the in, the entire team, so hopefully they can get that right this week and can get a nice tune-up against Missouri and then take down Wichita State. Um, you know, I was looking I was looking at and trying to figure out what would happen if all the national seeds in a bracket went down, um, so who, who would end up hosting, and I wasn't really clear to figure that out. So there, there's still an outside chance. I think Kansas would be the one in line if they made it, um, but obviously that would require, you know, Penn State to lose and, at home in one of the first two matches. And I don't think that's right. likely. So, yeah, kind of a, a pipe dream there, but I don't think we're gonna, even going to get close to finding out if that's even possible. So, all right. Um, so uh, did you have anything you wanted? I know you were at the, the West Virginia match for a little bit, at least, uh, were there any kind of observations you had there that you wanted to share with us real quick?
1: Yeah, we were only just able to stay for the first oh, two sets. And, uh, I mean, I didn't, I just don't know what it was. They, uh, I mean, I thought Rigdon looked pretty good in the first two sets that we saw there. Um, And I believe they split those sets. Right. Um, Yeah. But uh, I mean, there's just, I I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I, I, I mean, and I'm not a, you know, I'm just a fan. I, I I don't know how to break down a volleyball game or a volleyball team, so I I don't know what the problem is. I can't just watch a game and say, oh, they're not doing this or they need to do that. I I have no idea. Right. Um. But but clearly something is not quite clicking. Um. Because I, they're better than West Virginia. They're better than Baylor. They're better than some of these teams they've lost to, and uh, so, something just isn't quite right. And Uh, It's all going to come down to can they get it fixed and can they get on a roll because if they can get if they can get some steam built up and if they can get rolling, then they're definitely a a, you know a Final Four caliber team, but uh, you know the question is can the coaching staff figure that out in time? Yeah,
2: I mean they're they're definitely a a talented enough team to make it with all these seniors. Right, it's just a matter of they pull it all together and and get it to to work on the court. I mean, you know that West Virginia team is decent, but they had no business coming in on senior night and, you know, even keeping that one close. Honestly, Kate right. was the one that had no more than four sets, um, the way that they were playing. And they just – there were just key times where all of a sudden they lost the momentum they had built, and they just couldn't – they couldn't get it going for whatever reason. And I'm not sure what happened. Again, I, yeah, I, just like you, I'm not, I'm not uh, proficient enough in analyzing volleyball to really be able to tell you what's going on. Um, should be fascinating to kind of get that perspective from from jill Dorsey hall though so um yeah it, there, there's definitely going to be a lot more to talk about there and, and hopefully we can get some not really answers but get some insight on on maybe what 's going on there and what we can expect um i'm I know the first few rounds of the tournament typically the only way to catch them is the online streaming uh, i 'm definitely going to try to find a way to watch them and see what we can do so
1: oh yeah. Hopefully they should all be available on uh, ESPN three, I believe.
2: So. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. It may be there, or it may be on the the, the, the actual NCAA site. Um, right, you can definitely
1: get it through the the NCAA site, and there shouldn't be any blackouts either for anybody who wants to watch it. So. Right, because it's, it's the NCAA tournament. It's not a KU home game or something like that. So it's it's not subject to the to the TV deal.
2: Yeah, so I, I definitely encourage everybody that's listening to to try to tune in for those. Um, we'll probably do what we've done in the last few years and try to have like an open thread, even if it's just for the entire weekend um, and not for each individual game, Um, but somewhere that, you know, we can all come together and watch and and talk about the team that we have and hopefully cheering them on to a a second weekend and maybe even a third weekend appearance.
1: So, all right. Any other final thoughts about volleyball before we move on? Nope. I'm ready. I'm ready for that final four. I got my tickets. Uh, Don't disappoint me, Ray. Come on. Uh, Exactly. Oh man, that, that was so awesome. I would, I would have to, well, I
2: I don't, I wouldn't be able to find a way to get back to go. I would definitely be wanting to be there if that happened. So, all right. So let's go ahead and jump into, I guess, the big story. Um, Since, since we're not talking basketball, the only really big story left, um, obviously the, the KU football season finale was on Saturday at Oklahoma State. Um, there weren't really any surprises from the game. Kansas fell behind early. Um, you know, kind of, they had a couple guys that were at least looked decent. Um, but other than that, really, there wasn't anything too much, I think, from the game to get really excited about it all. Um, I know you were on your way to the volleyball match during most of the game, though, so, or, or during the early part of the game, and then obviously, you know, uh, tied up with the volleyball match itself. During the end of the game, but um did you get a chance to listen to any of it on the way out there, and if so did you get did you really take anything away from that game
1: yeah we I uh, listened to the first quarter and the fourth quarter on the radio, and um I mean just it's just more of the same, wasn't it i mean i-, I didn't get to watch it on t v but it just seemed like more of the same, and not even the radio guys could make it- could could spin it in a positive manner i mean it was i it was kinda of sad the way they were trying. <laughs> but uh I just I like for example, it, it had to have been in the first quarter, there was a false start and then a timeout. Uh, or it might have been the other way around, but I think it went false start and timeout. It seems like every game we have those in some combination, either a timeout followed by a false start, right? Or a false start followed by a timeout. And it's every single game. Like it's literally every single game. I don't understand. Um it's just and then I saw, you know, I was able to follow it on Twitter, and some of the stuff that Jesse Newell was retweeting, you know, there were at least two, if not three, different plays where Oklahoma State rushed three guys and got a sack against five blockers. And I mean, how does that continually happen? It, it's ridiculous. Um, I just, and then the the statement put out by the by Shan Zinger by the athletic department he almost immediately after the game about David Beatty coming back for a fourth year, it's almost like they knew they were going to lose that game and they had that statement prepared and ready to go. So it just doesn't make any sense. You know, you're going to lose, you know, you're going to lose by a lot probably. And you have this prepared statement ready to go telling people that, Hey, we're bringing back the coach, That's you know, get ready for year four. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't even know what to say anymore.
2: Yeah. So, uh, We'll, we'll kind of dive into more about that that aftermath in just a few minutes here. Um, in terms of actually talking about the game, um, yeah, you, you're right. They did have a a sequence there, which was absolutely ridiculous. I'm pretty sure it was, let's see, they were getting ready to punt. They had an issue trying to get that done.
1: <laughs> they ended up
2: calling a, or they called a timeout, I believe, and I'm trying to actually look it up right now. But they they called a timeout. I believe this was in the second quarter, um, just barely into the second quarter. They called that's a timeout, good. then got a delay of game penalty. That's Yeah, that's what I meant, delay not false start, delay of started, delay game. It. Which is just absolutely ridiculous when you think about it. Um, yeah, so that's what I was referring to. referring to. It looks like it was actually towards the end of the game as opposed to the beginning. Um, yeah. yeah, so – Oh, okay. There we go. I was looking at it wrong. I, I forgot that once the game's actually over, that they flip the order of all the drives. So, anyway, <laughs> um, it tells you, you know, how discombobulating this whole thing is to take a look at that. So, um, yeah. So, but I mean, it's just it's been absolutely here. Here we go. Yep, I found it. So yeah, they had a they had a delay of game penalty on a third and seven. Where it looked like they were potentially going to go for it, but they were a little un a little indecisive, then at that point you're obviously going to punt it, so it's not like you know it's any big question about what's going on but the but the play clock got down to one before they were even ready to punt it like to to snap it for the punch so they had to call a timeout so it was just an absolute you know horrible coaching move uh, i mean there was just there's just no clock management at all for the entire team it was just it was absolutely ridiculous um you know there were a couple yeah, i mean there was,
1: Andy Reid Andy thinks David Beatty has good clock management skills. I mean, it's ridiculous.
2: <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's that's a, a nice double header of bad clock management coach. <laughs> and I can't believe I root for both of those teams. Gosh, I know, right? All right, but yeah. So anyway, um, there were a couple bright spots in the game. The first being uh, Stephen Sims Jr you know he had some some really big catches that would keep some drives going uh there was actually one drive and I noted this in the recap that where he had a a 49-yard uh punt return and then finished off the drive by getting a, a a touchdown catch uh and so you know he he actually he actually played really well I think for the entire and for the entire game um Unfortunately, there just wasn't enough around him for them to even be remotely competitive. You know, I was, I was a little surprised. I expected Oklahoma State to, to run up the score a little bit. Um, they actually ended up pulling Mason Rudolph towards the end of the game and still ended up scoring a touchdown without him in there like it was nothing. Um, the only other bright spot was that Gabriel Rui hit a, a 50-yard field goal, which, to be honest, I thought was extremely outside of his range, just given what we've seen from him so far. Um, so that was a little bit of a bright spot early um but yeah, I mean, other than that, there really wasn't anything to talk about early in the game. you know, it looked like the defense might have another good start um the the running plays that Oklahoma State tried to do early just really weren't going anywhere but the but the the passing game was just carving us up. they went down and scored really quick on a touchdown, and it became pretty clear right away um that the run wasn't going to work, so they immediately you know, they, they immediately went to, uh, let's see. Yeah. So they had a big passing play on the third, the third play from scrimmage, 54 yards uh, in, in in a pass. And then from there, the run, you know, it took them four plays to run it in, but they ended up running it in from there. So, um, and, and then from there, you know, the, the running game didn't get going until probably about midway through the second quarter. Um, but at that point we were already behind by a bunch. So, you know, they weren't going to do anything but run it. So um, I'm not really surprised. Uh, It just, you know, I, I expected though, that if we got blown out, that there would be some sort of, you know, thought about whether baby was coming back that somebody would, you know, wait a day or two to make a final decision. But like you said earlier, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't more than 20 minutes after the game ended. And we had a statement from Zinger talking about, Um, you know, how excited he was to have Beatty leading us forward in the right direction. And just all of this uh, bunch of BS that we know, you know, was just him basically trying to save his job at that point. Um, You know, we've talked about this before. There's absolutely no way he's going to try to get rid of Beatty because the minute Beatty's gone, everyone's going to be calling for his job. Um, But somebody has to wake up and realize that the direction we're going right now just isn't working. So, so yeah, let's go ahead and jump into that now. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about it in the past, but was there anything in that statement or anything that we've kind of, you know, seen since then that you that just really got to you and you really just have to go off about it right now?
1: I mean, nothing that we haven't already talked about. I mean, uh, so according to the Andy, don't tell me if you've seen this yet, according to the Twitters, today is day number 3,000 since KU last won a road game, 3,000 days in counting. Oh, um, no, actually, I hadn't seen that. that that's ridiculous, uh, for one. Now, my God. Um, that started before Zinger got here, obviously, but, you know, it hasn't gotten any better. Um, and, I, you know, honestly, I'm surprised Mason Rudolph even played in the second half. I mean, if I was Oklahoma State, I wouldn't have even played him. But um, I guess they're not going to the Final Four or anything, so what does it matter? But... Uh, but yeah, just the ridiculousness of the statement. Um, you know, the ridiculousness of Beatty's record. You know, three and thirty-three. And uh, I saw something else that of Beatty's thirty-three losses, twenty-two of those have come by more than two scores. So, I mean, that's a ridiculous stat to to talk about.
2: Right. Uh, even a bunch of close losses in there.
1: Yeah. Oh, 11 of those losses are by less than two scores. That's that's a third of his losses. That's so not enough. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah, so, that's, that's just completely disgusting. Yeah, disgust. yeah uh, let's see. I I can't think of any more real crazy stats that I've seen. But yeah, yeah, those so those two kind of stuck out to me.
2: So yeah, so I'm pulling up right now. I'm taking a look at this statement from Zinger, and it was, you know, it's it's. Basically, it's two paragraphs, Um, but it's interesting that the first thing he says in there is, you know, as I said several weeks ago, Coach Beatty and I have been evaluating the program throughout the season and we will continue to do so now that the season has concluded. So, first of all, when you're evaluating a program and how good the football program is, you know, you should not have somebody that's inside of that program trying to be the one evaluating it. Uh, and so just right off the bat, you know, he's basically saying that, well, we're going to look at how the, the program's doing, but we're going to have the guy that's leading the program, the guy that, you know, we're basically doing a referendum on how he's done as one of the main guys that are deciding how good it is. So, of course, you know, he's going to rate himself doing really well, even if the results aren't there, because he doesn't want to lose his job. And if he has, a, if he has the power to decide that he's not going to do it, you know, he's not going to be, be fired. Well, then, of course, he's not going to fire himself. Um, <laughs> you know, and then, and then the, next, the next sentence, while we know the results of this season are not acceptable, the rebuilding of this program is a process, and Coach Beatty will continue to lead us through it. Something that I immediately noticed from that is not that we are confident that Coach Beatty has the tools or knows what he needs to do to turn this program around, just that it's a process to rebuild it, and here's the guy that's going to take us through the process. There's no statement at all, you know, saying that, he's, that we're going to improve it, that we know how to improve it, or anything like that. You know, just that the results aren't acceptable. Uh, it's, a proce- it's a process to rebuild a program, and this guy's going to take us through it. But no statement about how prepared he is or how capable he is of actually doing that.
1: I mean, is the master of the implied Implied word, I guess, is how I'm going to phrase that. Like, for example, nothing he said that you just mentioned was factually incorrect. Okay, and if you go back to the Charlie Weiss hiring, he said, "I set out to find the best." That's true, and I found Charlie Weiss. That is also true. Right. It's, up the, it's up to the listener to infer that he thought Charlie Weiss was the best, but he never actually said that. So, <laughs> you get where I'm going with that.
2: Right, right. So, you know, one could make the argument that he never said Charlie Weiss is going to be the best. That's right. You shouldn't hold him accountable for thinking that Charlie Weiss is the best because he never actually stated that, which is a really twisted way of (laughs) involve yourself with the responsibility of hiring Charlie Weiss. Oh, boy. I Uh, I just blew your mind, didn't
1: I? uh, Yeah,
2: yeah, honestly. You know, (laughs) So he talks about, he goes on to talk about the next paragraph about you know, excited and encouraged about the coaching staff recruiting efforts. And, you know, if by coaching staff we mean Tony Hall, then I can agree with that. But the coaching staff as a whole I don't think has done phenomenal in, in the recruiting category. It's been one guy that's brought in a bunch of high-level recruits from his own personal area in Louisiana. Uh, right. Of which all the two
1: have decommitted.
2: Right. So we have – well, we right. So we have two that are – solidly committed, another guy that seems to be solidly committed. But, you know, obviously there's still a lot of time for them to change their mind. Um, right. and we've, we've talked about those two or those three guys recently on a, on a podcast, but, you know, until they actually sign on that early signing period of December 20th, um, assuming that they do, you know, there's no guarantee that we're actually going to get these guys. And, and, uh, you know, I'll kind of reiterate what I had what I had kind of said earlier is that the only way you can say that this class, that this coaching staff has been successful in recruiting is if all three of those guys sign. If we lose even one of those three, there's, there's no way that this class is anywhere near what we need it to be, to be able to build off of. And, and
1: I'm not, because then it's going to be a bunch of three stars and Jucos. And that's what we've had literally every year, the last 10 years.
2: Right. Having one four star guy um, or one five star guy, Uh, it does not make the class good enough to turn around, you know, the problems that we've had. Um, And, and honestly, you know, I'm not even convinced that even if we get all three of those guys, that, that Beatty's going to be able to coach them well enough for, uh, for it to do anything. And I, and that's the point that, that that Fetch was making on Twitter. That's the point that a lot of guys have made is that, you know, recruiting obviously is important, but if you have a coach that can't do anything with recruits that come onto campus. You know you could you could get the number one recruiting class every single year and still be the worst the worst power five football team if you have no clue how to use the guys you bring on and right. I mean even if you mildly know how to use them you know an uptick in talent is going to be helpful but you know we have not seen a single thing from Beatty from uh, Bowen from anyone uh, and I, I don't even remember who the special teams coordinator is all I remember is that you know, he was getting run out of town of to the last place that he was at, and then he came over to Kansas. And we, um, you know, for some reason decided that, hey, maybe he can actually do something. Uh, we've seen this year really the only, the only unit that has had any kind of coaching success um, would be potentially the offense. But I say potentially because the offensive line has been so bad that we can't really evaluate whether the coach has been successful there. Um, the, the other, you know, all the other areas that we've had coaching have been complete disasters. And so until something happens with the coaching staff, um, I have no, absolutely no confidence that we, we could bring in the number one recruiting class for four years in a row, and if the coaches can't do anything with them, we're still going to be horrible. Uh, you know, I just, I don't see, you know, um, I forget who it was, but somebody on the site today actually linked back to our articles. We were talking about the coaching search for, for David Beatty. And then so the stream of articles that we had there and then actually uh, linked to the announcement of the David Beatty hiring, you know, and so, so we could all go back and look at the comments of what we said when he was hired, um, you know, and, and actually grad, I'll give him all kinds of kudos. He was talking about just how bad it was going to be that Beatty was not going to be any kind of, um, you know, positive coach for this team at all. Um, you know, so it was, it was really interesting to go back and look and see, just how bad a lot of people thought it was going to be when Beatty got hired. Um, you know, and then obviously there was a bunch of people, uh, you you and David specifically were like, well, I don't know that this is going to work out well, but let's at least give him a chance. Um, to your guys' credit, you know, we all gave him a chance, but, you know, it became hopefully oh. apparent.
1: <laughs> as you Yeah, know, I think it, he's had a chance, that's for sure. Huh? I definitely think he's had a chance. I think three years is plenty of time to know whether or not you have a guy that can coach or not. Right.
2: Right. And then actually, you know, it's, it's it's amazing to look back at what we all said back then Um, because one of the first things you had said, you know, was two or three years uh, is exactly that plenty of time to tell whether he's going to be a good long-term coach. Um, There were some people that were fighting back on that saying, you know, well, you got to give him at least four or five years before we even know. And, you know, it's been, it's been pretty clear three years in that David Beatty is not going to be able to turn this around in any sort of timely fashion. Um, You know, if somehow he's able to hold on for maybe, you know, six or seven years and grows into the position, then maybe he can start turning around then. But I sure as hell don't want to actually see that because that means that we're going to have another, you know, three or four years of this kind of result. And, I mean, at that point, everybody will have written off the Kansas program because there's no way that we win more than one or two games. Um, you know, unless, unless Beatty hands over a lot of the control, Meacham turns out to be a really good coordinator and we find someone to fix the offensive line, you know, and a bunch of other stuff with his staff is taken care of because just based off of what we've seen from him, based off his experiences, I just don't see how he's going to be able to be the guy to turn this around without a lot of help on his staff. All right. Um, I, I feel like we should say some more stuff about it, but I don't really want to say anything else about, the football program other than I will ask you, I mean, you know, we've obviously been extremely pessimistic about what's going on because there has not been a coaching change. Um, I guess thinking about next year, assuming that we have guys like, you know, Daniel Wise, Dorrance Armstrong, Joe Denine, that they all decide to come back. Uh, because that's not guaranteed at this point. They're all eligible to go to the NFL draft if they wanted to. To be honest, I think they all performed well enough this year to get serious consideration. Um, and and we actually had said in, the, in a previous podcast that Joe Janine was a senior. I was actually incorrect about that. Uh, he is a redshirt junior, so he can either come back for another year, um, or he can go ahead and go to and, and try to get drafted in the NFL if, if he wanted to. Um, but first of all, I mean, do you do you see any any realistic chance that these guys come back if it's you know looking the way it is at this point?
1: No, not after the season they just had. I mean, Lawrence Armstrong would be the only one. Um, just because of the physical tools that he has. But he would have to – I think he would have to blow some guys away at the at workouts or at a, the combine or something because he just didn't have any stats this year. I, he had, what, two sacks, I think? Um, so, just, you know, you're, you're saying you don't think any of them leave because of the year we've had? Yeah, I don't think any of them are going to get drafted because of the year we've had. Oh, okay. Um, I, I could see – I mean, I could definitely see some guys transfer. You know, like I wouldn't be surprised to see – you know, Mike Lee transfer or Steven Sims or uh I I don't know. Well, <laughs> Those are probably the two best players, but. but just because he's already a junior.
2: Um I mean I don't I don't know that he would want to transfer one year well I think he's actually is, is he a junior or a redshirt junior? I'm not sure at this point. <laughs> Who's a Sims.
1: Um you know I I don't know.
2: I want to say that he's a redshirt junior. I may be incorrect on that, but, but anyway, I mean, yeah, I mean, potentially we could see guys transfer. And of course, you know, that's also not ruling out that a lot of these guys could end up, you know, that are, that are juniors or redshirt juniors graduating and being a graduate transfer. Um, So, I mean, yeah, that's always a possibility. Like Joe Dineen, if he really wanted to, could probably, uh, because I believe he graduates in just a couple weeks here, um, could potentially go somewhere as a, as a graduate
1: transfer. Um, no, I mean I could see some guys doing that. I don't think he would. I mean he's a local kid. You know he went to Free State. His brother played here. He's. I don't think he's transferred.
2: Well, yeah, and and I'm I'm not saying that I think it's likely he would, but a guy like Joe Denine could if he wanted to. I think sure. there are multiple guys like that that are either juniors or redshirt juniors that could finish off their degree to the point where they could then transfer and play immediately. And I wouldn't be surprised if any of them did it. I wouldn't I wouldn't fault any of them if they decided. Huh. to. No way. You know, the, the the quotes coming out from all the players was, you know, I'm so glad to hear that Beatty's coming back, you know, that these these guys, they really care about us. And, you know, I think I've grown this year personally, um, you know. And, I, I mean, I don't know how much I actually believe that. You know, a lot of these guys are, are saying it because that's the right thing to say. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if all of these guys actually privately thought, you know, too bad he's not gone because we would have gotten better coaching from pretty much <laughs> the streets. Um, but of course no one's going to say that because the minute you right. at, you have no chance to come back once he's, once he's guaranteed to be here. So, um, but you know, I, I think, I think that will be the big, the big uh, sign about how these guys really feel about Beatty. Cause if, if, if every single one of them comes back and they all commit to play next year for KU, even though they all have opportunities that they can go, then maybe there is something there, you know, maybe the guys can improve and maybe we will see some sort of step forward. But you know, if if the majority of these guys leave, uh, either going to the end to the NFL or transferring to another school, that tells me that regardless of what they said in their postseason press conferences, they you know don't really see the value of staying. Which means that Beatty really isn't going to do much for them, because uh, you know I, I agree with you the way that their stats have gone. Um, you know, Dorns Armstrong potentially could be able to show enough in the combine. Daniel Wise if he were to get invited to the combine or to work out could potentially show enough, I think, but he'd have a lot, a lot longer way to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, all these guys, I don't, I don't see them necessarily jumping and being anything other than an undrafted free agent. And, you know, if, if you think that staying in college one more year could potentially help you at all, um, then you go ahead and do it in that, in that, in that case. So if, if they all end up leaving, uh, that's a pretty clear sign to me that, you know, Beatty doesn't really have the support of the locker room. It's just a bunch of guys that don't really want to talk bad about him. You know, and, yeah. and if, if I was in the, in that position, I probably wouldn't want to talk bad about him either because, you know, he's from every, oh, yeah, he can't He's a nice guy. He has a really positive attitude. You know, he's really uplifting for the people that he's around. It just doesn't seem like he knows anything about being a head coach of a football
1: team. All right.
2: Well, I think we've kind of beat that topic to death. Um, so yeah, so I think we're going to go ahead and leave it there, unless you had something else you just wanted to, to, to jump on.
1: Uh, actually, the only thing that I that's kind of come into my head was uh, based on the statement that we got from Zenger immediately after the Oklahoma State game. Right. Does, does that make does that make 2018 bowl or bust, or if he wins three or four games, is that progress, and he comes back for year five? I think
2: he wins four, that he'll be back. Four or more, he'll be back. Um, And just because at that point, I mean, you know, if if you look at who we're playing, um, you know, there's really not – based on where we're at now, I don't know that I could find more than two games on that schedule that are even a 50-50 chance that we win. So if he wins four, that means that they've overachieved at this point from what we thought, you know, after, True. after accounting for how, poor, you know, how poor they, they played this year, that would be an overachievement. That means that, you know, you could potentially say, okay, well this year, maybe they just had some bad luck. Um, you know, that maybe the offensive line really was that big of an issue that kept them from being competitive in a lot of games because the offense couldn't do anything. Um, you know, I, I, at where we're at right now, I would argue with that statement if someone tried to say that, but you know, if we come in next year and we win, you know, we either we win a road game and win two other games. So we have three wins or, you know, we win all all three of our, our home games uh, for, against our, you know, mediocre opponents um, and, and find another win somewhere in conference, even if they're all at home. You know, that that tells me that there's some sort of progress. And maybe I would listen to an argument at that point about, you know, this year really sucked, but it was you know unfortunate circumstances. Um, but you know, if if we only win one or two next year, then we're right back where we're at now. There's been absolutely no progress. Um, the only problem is, you know, I think I think Zanger would kind of stick to his line of, oh well, you know, we still are trying to build this, and the, uh, you know, I, I don't see any way that the facilities get built before the end of next year. Um, so that's still going to only no, the in indoor practice area will be. Right, but that's still kind of the line that they can throw out there is, oh, well, we need, you know, the upgraded facilities so we can bring in the recruits that we need to turn the program around. I mean, that's the line that they're feeding everybody now. And so nothing changes next year unless we go, you know, 0-12 and we lose every game by 50 points and, you know, players finally get fed up with it and start talking bad about the coach. Like that's literally, I think, the only way that Beatty is not here for year five. Um, is, you know, we either have to win zero or one games and we have to have enough players that speak publicly that, you know, Beatty is not the answer because, I I mean, I think that the excuses are still built in there. You know, as long as Beatty is a likable guy that people don't, you know, that people feel bad for if they were to fire him. And as long as Zenger can still point to the fundraising success, um, I just don't see there being the, the impetus from the chancellor wanting to get them out. You know, that's the only other way I think that, that, Singer gets out is if all of a sudden, you know, we come to the end of next year and we haven't gotten anywhere near enough money raised for the raise the chance to, you know, even start construction facilities. You know, if, if we only, cause, cause right now I think we're at 70 million of the 325 million that they want to raise. Um, and 50 million of that, you know, was, was boost the ninja, uh, uh, David boost original donation there. Right. Um, you know, if, if we get to the end of, or, <clears throat> Excuse me, if, if we get to the beginning of next school year and we've only raised 100 million, so another only another 30 million since then, I could see there potentially be some grumbling because now you know not only is the football program an issue, but we're not raising the money that we need to raise to be able to f- improve the facilities, which is what they're saying is the reason why the football program is a big deal. Um, so that could potentially get Zinger out, and then once Zinger's out. You know, new AD gets carte blanche to do whatever he wants in terms of football coaches. Um, and so that's how we would potentially get a coaching change. But, yeah, it's going to take one of those two things. Either David Bates is going to have to go 0-12 next year, and, you know, someone's going to have to complain from the team, or Zinger's just going to have to fall horribly flat on the fundraising goals um, that make it so that people decide, oh, well, you know, maybe we can't wait around to, to make the changes. So, and ultimately, I feel like we're going to be stuck with a year five, regardless of how
1: you know, little improvement we actually see. As long as we don't work that horribly. But here's where I was going with that. So if Beatty win if they win four games next year, that'll make David Beatty seven and forty one overall. Okay. Which is fourteen and a half percent of his game. He's won fourteen and a half percent of his games at that point. Gosh. And I know that the that they'll I just you you just know that they're gonna look at that and they say, Oh, we won four games this year. Progress here he comes back for year 5 and how many programs out there fired winning fired coaches with winning records this year and here we would be bringing back another guy for a fifth year who's won 14% of his games like it's just it's so bad it's it's not even embarrassing anymore it's just i mean it's still embarrassing but it's just pathetic and even if he makes a bowl game even if he goes 6 and 6 then that makes him uh let's see, that makes him what? Nine? Right. Nine and thirty-nine? Yeah. So which is which the- is nineteen percent of his game, which which is better. That's better. But still, uh I mean if he makes a bowl, okay, bring him back for a fifth year. That's fine. But I well, if he, wow. he doesn't make a bowl game next year, for for me, that's a hard sell as a season ticket holder and as a fan, that's a hard sell for me to go, yeah, yeah, you're five of David Bainey. we're making progress. Well, you've won four games against bad teams. Like I don't, you've won you've won less than ten games in four years. I don't understand. Yeah, so and, and, it's, and, yeah, that, that's kind of where I was going with that. Is, is the numbers. The the number from year to year might improve, but the numbers overall still look terrible. Well, yeah. And that, I mean, if we were to get four wins
2: next year, I think personally I would be ecstatic with that. Just based off of where we've been and how bad we've been, you know, that would, that honestly would be progress. Now, whether it's enough progress to keep Beatty around and to think that he can legitimately turn the program around, that's debatable. And I think I would agree with you that. You know, even if he wins four games next year, I don't think that immediately means we should keep him around. But what it does, Right, because imagine what a
1: good coach would do with that team.
2: Right, but, but <laughs> what that does allow at that point is it allows people to say, okay, well, it is improving. Maybe it will just take longer than we were hoping it would take. And so they're going to give him that, uh, that that next year. You know, if, if uh, to be honest, not that I think we should, but – If we went to a bowl game next year, I think, I think Beatty gets another extension. And I'm not saying that he should, and it would be a horrible idea at that point. Because, you know, just like you could argue that maybe this year was a fluke and there should have been more progress. If we go to a bowl game next year, it's really easy to argue, oh, well, that was a fluke that year. There's no way that we can, you know, think that this is going to extend into the next few years. Um, So, You know, I I don't think that that should happen, but I could definitely see the overreaction of, hey, we went bowling. Look at that. Huge turnaround, real quick. Let's give him an extension because obviously he's going to get our program back to where it needs to be. I I don't think that that's going to be enough proof for me to be able to say that, but I I fear that if they do get to a bowl game next year, that we're going to be stuck with Beatty for another, you know, six or seven years because they'll extend him, the buyout will be too much, and then. You know, even if he, if he tanks after that, no one's going to want to pay another huge buyout to a coach, especially, you know, if, <laughs> if he doesn't have that great of a track record before KU. So, <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean,
2: I just – I think – I almost think that that would be the disaster scenario. Um, I mean, yeah, we would go to a bowl, but I don't know that I would feel confident that that's going to lead to any sort of sustained success. I almost would rather, you know, if he's going to be successful – Um, I would almost rather that we win, say, four games next year so we can see the success. We don't get people overconfident in what Beatty can do, you know, and we have an opportunity to see a a trajectory going forward that would make a successful program rather than getting one successful year where we go to a bowl game, everybody
1: overreacts.
2: We get ourselves stuck with a coach that may or may not actually be a good coach uh, going forward based off of that one year. And then we go straight back to it and then can't get out of it because of the financial pressure. Cause I think yep. that would be the worst thing is getting ourselves stuck in another long-term contract where the buyout is huge. Um, because once that happens again, you know, there's no way that we're going to get any kind of decent coach after we fire Beatty. If we end up having to pay Beatty, a, you know, a $5 million buyout, um, <laughs> to do it. So, because everyone's going to be too afraid to, you know, hire a coach to take any kind of real money. So, um, Yeah. You know, we, the other kind of story that we, that we can talk about, even though we don't have a coaching search, I was kind of, you know, I was hoping that we would be in the middle of a coaching search right now. It would make the site a whole lot busier. Um, But, you know, obviously be a little little bit more stressful trying to follow all the rumors and everything. But there's a lot of good candidates out there this, this year. Um, You know, Kevin Sumlin, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of these guys are definitely probably going to places a lot better than Kansas, but there's, been a few names that have been thrown out that potentially, you know, we could have drawn some interest guys that have shown interest in this job in the past or other guys that maybe just, you know, would have wanted to get an opportunity to place like this. And we wouldn't have cared so much. One guy that came to mind and, and Fet, Fetch and I were actually kind of arguing about this on, on Twitter. Um, Greg Shiano, you know, ended up, it was hired at or not actually hired, but was going to be the next Tennessee head coach. Um, and then a bunch of people got mad someone painted on a rock down in Tennessee talking about his time up in Penn state. And then all of a sudden, you know, Tennessee pulls out of the, out out of the deal. He's currently the defensive coordinator up at at Ohio state. Um, You know, there have been rumors um, that potentially he may have known about what was going on during the paternal years with Sandusky, but nothing I think that comes anywhere near the level of proof, you know, required for me to say, I absolutely want nothing to do with him. He's the kind of guy I think would be great for Kansas. Um, You know, he knows what it takes to turn around a horrible program. He did it at Rutgers. And while they didn't end up getting to, you know, really long-term sustained success, he was able to have them have one really good successful year and then had a a mediocre, like, you know, a lower lower level to mediocre program that was at least respectable um, in Rutgers for a while. So, you know, at this point, I think that's the most we can kind of, hope for to start with and then maybe potentially build off of that going forward. Um, I, I mean, I, obviously we're not in the running for any coaches right now, but what would you think about a guy like that? You know, assuming that Beatty does enough of this next year to get fired, um, is is that the kind of guy you think that we would need to go ahead and target? Um, maybe someone who has some baggage that wouldn't necessarily be able to go to one of the top tier programs, but can can kind of show that he can build a program that's not really
1: upper level at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, Shiano specifically is probably never going to be a head coach again, and he may not even have a job at Ohio State after this. Yeah, we is um, unfortunate because, you yeah. know, I, mean, I mean, I've looked into it a little bit, and none of the, um, you know, none of the, kind of like the point you made on Twitter, that I saw that, um, you know, none of that would hold up in court. And, um, you know, I, I saw a statement from, Uh, a newly appointed Penn State trustee who has claimed to research everything and said he believes Shiano had nothing, you know, know, and all this stuff, right? Uh, Like, I I don't think – I think there's a lot of smoke, but I don't don't necessarily think there's a fire. Um, I I think it's a lot of – gosh, I probably have to be really careful how I say this, don't I? (laughs) I think think it's a lot of – a lot of the vocal minority of, you know, hashtag angry online people who don't bother to look up, you know, to research facts type people. Um, And it just kind of went viral and people just started liking and retweeting and Oh, this must be true. I saw it on Twitter type of thing. So um, I think there is some of that, but uh, you know, so, but, with, with the way it blew up into a national story, I don't think he's ever going to be a head coach again. Yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, I, I would. There's all kinds of guys that I would be okay going after the the Army coach, the Tulane coach, the Troy coach. Uh, you know, there, are guys like that at kind of the you know lower school tier programs that have been head coaches. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, considering we hired a wide receivers coach who was a co-offensive coordinator for one year at Rice. He didn't exactly have the credentials. So, you know, I would want to, uh, somebody that's been a
2: coach somewhere else. Not even guys that have been a head coach somewhere else. Like, I would want a guy at least that had been an offensive coordinator at a semi-successful program. Like right. an up-and-coming offensive coordinator or or even a defensive coordinator. I mean, we need we need both sides of the ball kind of taken care of, so I wouldn't care which, which coordinator. But right, that was the big knock on Beatty when he came was that, you know, he was a wide receivers coach. He had never had any position where he was the coordinator. He had been a co-coordinator for a year, but he had never actually been an offensive coordinator, had never been responsible for an entire unit, um, let alone for an entire team. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely would want a guy that has some sort of at least coordinator experience. Um, and, you know, I don't want to rehash the whole, um, you know, problems that we had when Beatty was hired and, with that whole search process but um you know kind of just real real quick on the point you made about shiano specifically um you know i, I think a lot of that kind of just you know I, I had heard someone say um recently that essentially we've turned into a, a a shame culture where you know it's not necessarily anymore about what is right or wrong it's about what does the majority of people think and if anyone thinks differently than that majority you know they get shamed into trying to conform, Um, you know, based off of everything that I have seen about Shiano, it looks like either a, you know, he didn't, it didn't actually happen. Like the, the, the story that came out in the deposition was that supposedly Shiano told the defensive coordinator at the time uh, who he was working under about an incident he had seen with Sandusky. And then apparently that incident never went anywhere. Um, But there was no comment in there, you know, about, well, what did he do after it didn't get reported or anything like that? Literally, it was just a, oh, and by the way, you know, Ciano had said this to one guy, or to, I think Bradley was the name of the the defensive coordinator, um, you know, that he had seen this and that was like the only mention of it. And it was, you know, it was, it was in the deposition for the civil suit um, for McQuarrie being the, the whistleblower, um, you know, so, but it basically it means one of two things: either he reported it up the chain of command like he was supposed to and expected that somebody was going to go ahead and actually take care of it, um or it never happened in the first place, in which case you can't hold him responsible for anything. so um you know just that specific story, it definitely looks like there's not enough, like there's no inkling from anyone else that he was involved i I think it's it's horrible that his his potential to be a head coach again is probably going to be ruined by. This, this Twitter up for. And really, I don't think it has anything to do specifically with that. It's just the fact that there was enough people that didn't want him to be the Tennessee head coach, but they couldn't make a good enough argument on his credential as a coordinator or as a head coach. So they had to go to something that everybody has been upset about, you know, in the, in the Penn State history that he was tangentially related to because he happened to coach there during that timeframe and, you know, brought out a big story about it to, to smear him, his, his name that way. Um, unfortunately, that's kind of the way things go. A lot of times in, in the society that we have, it's it's extremely unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I think even with that baggage, I would be willing, uh, you know, based off of all the information that's out there right now, I would be willing to go ahead and take a chance on a guy like that, give him an opportunity to you know to show that he knows what he's doing, um, you know, and and I mean, just with how long ago that was, and there's no been no inkling of any impropriety from him. Since then, you know, I, I just, I just don't understand why it's going to torpedo any chance he has to be a head coach again. So.
1: And uh, to your point there, I, I'm, I don't want to talk a lot about that. Uh, anybody out there that has watched the Orville on Fox, it's kind of a yes. <laughs> sci-fi comedy type thing. If you, have, have you seen, or if you have not seen the episode called Majority Rule? Yes. I have go online and check it out and you'll know exactly, that that's what we're talking about right here, that's exactly what we're talking about. And it's actually kind of
2: funny because I was talking about this with some guys that I uh, work with, um, you know and that was the exact point that I had made, you know, that that show had, a, had an episode like that, that was talking about that, you know, and kind of where we take this to when
0: popularity
2: decides uh, whether someone's right or wrong um, Right. You know, I, I mean that's where we don't I don't want us to get to that point because there's absolutely no way that that leads us to anywhere good. So, yeah. All right. So I think that we've kind of beat all of our topics to death tonight. Um, I'll give you one last chance. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about real quick before we get out of here? No, man, I'm good. I got to get back to work here. All right, sounds good. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and get this edited we can try to get it up tonight. So, um, all right. Well, so those of you that are listening, um, again, remember that we are planning on having... Um, another episode or two at least this week. Um, you know, we, we've, I've got that coming up with with Jill Dorsey Hall, and then uh, the guy about the Syracuse game. And we will be kind of wrapping up in our next episode about uh, the the KU basketball games that have been going on. So, so definitely make sure you stay tuned uh, to catch all of that. Um, again, Mike, thanks thanks for joining me tonight. and Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Shock Talk
0: podcast.